1: Pregnancy is supposed to be a happy time, but sometimes that joy can be overshadowed by feelings of anxiety and depression. But with all the chemical and physical changes to your body, how do you know if you're experiencing these issues? And what options do you have for overcoming them? I'm Gretchen Malios, a licensed clinical social worker here in San Diego, and this is Preggy Pals, episode 59.
2: Um, is that a plus sign? Welcome to Preggy Pals broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your weekly online on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host Sunny Galt. Have you joined our Preggy Pals club? Our members get all of our archived episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts and we've got a lot of great discounts right now, so make sure you sign up as soon as you can. You'll also get a free subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. You can see our website preggypals.com for more information. And thank Thanks to everyone who is listening to this episode through our awesome Preggy Pals apps. They are available in the Apple and Android marketplace. I don't know about you ladies, but this is the way I listen to the episodes because as a mother, I'm always on the go. I'm waiting at my OB appointment, I'm waiting for an elevator. There's always great times to listen to this content, or maybe I'm just trying to drown out this out of, of my toddler. Um, either way, there's a lot of great ways to listen to our show. If you want to download our apps, they are absolutely free. Visit our website for more information. Okay, so let's meet our panelists joining us today. We've got a full house today. I love it. I love it when we have lots of people here in the studio. Um, for me, you guys know me. I'm the host of the show. I am pregnant for my third baby now, uh, still in the first trimester. My due date is kind of still to be determined. I'm just going to say December because I can't figure it out yet. Uh, baby gender we don't know yet. I have two little boys already. Sayer and Urban. Uh, Sayer is almost three. He'll be three in July, and um, Urban just turned one. So we have a full house, a lot of little kids. We're just going on the boom, boom, boom plan. Get them all done. (laughs) Crazy circus anyways, so just keep them coming. Um, Type of birth. This one's going to be a cesarean. My last baby was a cesarean because my first baby was a vaginal birth that caused a lot of complications, Um, but I'm okay with that. I've kind of um, gotten over the whole cesarean thing and have learned to just embrace the baby, not necessarily the birth process. So that's my story. Um, Christy is a new panelist here on the show. She's also one of our new bloggers. So Christy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Christy Iris. I'm 41. I'm pregnant with my
0: first baby, which is a girl, nice. and I'm due Labor Day. She already has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'm planning um, a natural birth at the birth center at UCSD.
2: Nice. So well, congratulations. Thanks. Okay, Annie.
0: My name is Annie. Uh, I am thirty-four. Uh, I'm pregnant
3: with my third baby. I would say girl, but I was totally wrong with number two. I said that was a boy, and that ended up <laughs> being a girl. So we're we're team green. You know, I uh, I don't really care. Although I do have all the little girl clothes because my number two daughter uh, is about to turn one in a month, and then I have an almost eight-year-old daughter as well.
4: All right, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am Stephanie. I am thirty a uh, stay-at-home mom and producer of preggy pals and um, i have a baby girl she's about five months old her name is savannah and um, we had
2: a uh, unplanned c-section hospital birth Alrighty, well ladies thank you so much for joining us today All right. Before we get started with today's show, we are going to talk about a new app. This is called Alert ID. I have been in touch with the creators of this product. I've actually interviewed uh, the mom who created that. I, I love products that are created by moms. I just feel like they're more authentic. And a mom named Kelly created this. Unfortunately, she had a situation. She has three kids and they went to an amusement park and became lost from her and her husband for several hours. And you can imagine. Imagine, as a mom, in a big place like an amusement park you're freaking out if you can't find your kids and you're thinking someone has taken them. Where are they? And luckily, she was able to get her kids back. They were unharmed. But after that, she and her husband put their heads together and thought, how do we make sure that other parents don't have to go through this? What can we create? What can we do to help parents? And Alert ID is the app that has developed out of this tragic experience that um, turned out to be okay for them. But it's a great resource for new parents. Um, Basically what it is, is a way for you to get alerts about things that are happening in your community. I want to kind of talk to our panelists here in the studio who have had a chance to look at this app. Tell me what you guys think about the app. The big thing is, would you recommend this to another parent and why? So um, Christy, let's start with you. I tried both the app on my phone and
0: on my computer, and I thought it was great that I could look up and find the sex offenders in my neighborhood and it took me to the website and I could find the pictures which you know my baby's not born yet but I can imagine just knowing even being able to show them you know the pictures of like if you see this person yeah you know stay away stay away run scream right and um I thought that was great the only downside to it was that it seems like, um, especially on the website one, it popped up um, alerts of things that happened like a month ago. Okay. Like um, traffic oh, incidences, really? yeah. So that was just, uh, and, I, and I didn't spend enough time on it to figure out how to turn that off. Okay. But it was kind of a little more alertive that <laughs> <laughs> than I needed to know okay. that there was a hit and run back yeah, a month right. and a half ago. Right. <laughs> um, that's all. But, you know, that's just a pickyune kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I like also that there's the family wallet on, yeah. on it that you mm-hmm. can put your kids, your family in it, even your pets. And it says that you can, if somebody becomes lost, you can send their
2: profiles immediately to the authorities and to neighbors. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and the big thing with that, too, um, for example, in Kelly's situation when her kids were lost, um, she made the suggestion of if you're going to an amusement park, if you're going to a big mall or something like that where you could get separated from your children, again, you use this portion of the app called My Family Wallet. You enter in all your kids' information prior, but before you go into the mall, before you go into um, the amusement park, you take a quick picture of your kid. So they see a photo from that day, a photo of what they were wearing exactly when they went missing because that's how a lot of times law enforcement tracks um, how to find your kid. You literally press a button and it goes out to the resources that need to be notified. And with missing children, that is the biggest thing is how, how quickly can we get your children back? Because the longer it takes, the more likely the results are not going to be in your favor, basically. What do you think, Stephanie? Okay, so
4: I was looking at it last night, and you know, I'm like, "Oh, there's there's a, a sex offender right down the street from me." <laughs> so, you know, I just open it up, and I'm I'm looking at, it. I look at his picture, and I'm like, "Oh my god," I drove by that guy, I saw that guy outside of his house today, and I remember as I was driving by, looking at him and going. He kind of looks like a creepy person. <laughs> well, apparently he really is because he's a convicted rapist. So, Oh
2: my God. I'm like,
4: note to self. And that's where I usually go for walks. And so I might be changing my walk route. Yeah, so it's not necessarily <laughs> just to protect your
2: kids, but yeah. even to protect yourself. Yeah, and it was gonna.
4: like rape by force. Like, oh all, I was goodness. like, okay,
2: well, then. Yeah, the one thing that I would say, um, I love the functionality of it. They keep coming up with different partnerships, and they they partner directly with these law enforcement companies and these weather services and stuff. So again, they're, they aren't they are filtering the information for you, which I love, um, and, but they're constantly adding new resources, and they're trying to get it more focused so it is as local as possible so you really can tell what's happening in your community. So I love that idea. It's great for neighborhood watches because um, you can create groups on this, and if someone Something weird is going on in your neighborhood, you can take a photo, a video of something and send it to everyone in your neighborhood watch. So watch out for this guy, you know, so it's a great way to use it as well. The one thing I would say, though, is that um, you are storing some personal information in this app. So it's probably a good idea if you don't already have it to have a password on your phone. So just in case your phone becomes lost, I would hate for somebody to get your phone to go to this app and see all the personal information about your child. That is the one thing that i would say you know but that's that's a safety thing with any kind of app you have on your phone so if you guys want to check this out you can go to alert id.com slash new mommy we have a special page there and you can sign up for the app and it's a free app that you just download through the itunes uh, marketplace i really like this app Would you guys would you guys recommend this to a friend to another yeah. parent yeah, yeah thumbs absolutely. up for everybody Definitely. i would that's yeah. awesome We hear a lot about the baby blues and postpartum depression, but did you know that you can also experience prenatal anxiety and depression? Joining us today on the show is Gretchen Malios, a licensed clinical social worker who also serves on the board for the Postpartum Health Alliance here in San Diego. Gretchen, welcome to Preggy Pals. Thanks, it's great to be here. So how common is prenatal anxiety and depression in women?
1: Well, the rates of anxiety are less measured and less screened. It's not as commonly observed, although we're hoping to increase awareness. And I think we're moving in a good direction about that because they're recognizing with further research that the incidence of depression, anxiety, postpartum are very parallel or similar to those prenatally. Um, So what they have right now in research shows is somewhere between 5 to 16 percent of women will experience anxiety prenatally. Um, The rates for depression are 10 to 20 percent prenatally. Um, And postpartum is anywhere from 10 to 20%, depending on the measure that you look at. One of the things that's important to recognize, though, is that a lot of women, and I have this experience in my practice, a lot of women experience some level of distress, and they won't necessarily register and be screened on that level if they did a clinical screening where their symptoms don't meet certain criteria. But it doesn't mean that they're not experiencing some symptoms, some distress, some sense of just not quite feeling like themselves. So it's not just about meeting that criteria and hitting positive on that screening tool. It's also about checking in with yourself or your partner about how they're feeling overall.
2: Yeah. Well, let's check in with our panelists here. Ladies, did you experience prenatal anxiety or depression in any of your pregnancies? Christy, what do you think? I, I f- did. I thought it, it was depression at
0: one point. I looked up the symptoms, and it's like, oh, they're all the same, it seems, as just pregnancy mm. symptoms. <laughs> I know. See, that's yes. a tough thing, yeah. is,
2: it's, especially if you're pregnant the first time, is how do you know what is just pregnancy stuff going on versus something more serious, right? right? Well, and then I also wasn't getting – I'm still not getting a good night's sleep.
0: So the next night, I think I had had three hours of sleep fully that night. And then the next night I had five hours of sleep and I woke up and I felt so much better. I was like, oh, that that might have just been fatigue (laughs) instead of depression. So I think and I also have a thyroid condition. So in the first Mm. trimester you know, we were constantly adjusting. You have to adjust the medication a lot. I'm on twice the normal of what I take pre-pregnancy. So having a thyroid that's out of
2: whack causes a lot of depression as well at times. Right. So I guess this is a question for Gretchen then. How do we know the difference between, you know, just pregnancy symptoms and what's real anxiety and depression?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I was appreciating what Christy had to share because that comment about sleep is such a—it's a classic example of the the whole spectrum of the types of things we experience during depression or anxiety and during pregnancy and how they cross over. So the the thing that I um, would recommend, and I think what we try and educate people on is, if you're having a bad day or two, or the the symptoms are fleeting or periodic then that's maybe part of just sort of the the hardship and the transition of pregnancy and postpartum period. The changes in hormones, the changes in responsibilities and pressures that you have on you, and the changes in things that you're thinking about now that you have a family. There's a whole different range of things that are now on your radar that you didn't previously have to cope with or make sense of, right? Responsibility for another life, managing your family, growing family, changing schedules. But when it starts to inhibit how much you participate in. When it starts to really dominate your thoughts and you are not relating to your life, your friends, your social circles in the same way, when your life starts to become narrower, when you're not able to sleep, when you're not able to enjoy things, and you're finding that this is going on day in and day out, or if you were to check back on yourself a few months back, where are you now compared to a few months ago? Are you still yourself? I think that's a pretty good sign. If the answer is no, it's a pretty good sign that you deserve some support. That's sort of how I like to look at it. Rather than this categoric, are you depressed or anxious or not? It's more, are you feeling well and robust? And if you're not, you deserve to go someplace or talk with someone where you can put some of those things outside of you, take a look at them, talk about them, and make sense of them. And that process in itself, I think, tends to really work against this isolation and this inner confusion that we experience, which really pulls us away from the the very safety net and social circle that would keep us going forward in general. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. That, yeah.
4: Can you define... You know, I think most of us kind of know what, you know, anxiety or depression generally is, but can you define specific symptoms that that really would kind of
1: qualify for yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a great question and I what there's different there's different ways to talk about it. There's sort of how Our manuals describe it so that we kind of code it based on how we're trained as quote unquote therapists or doctors or whatever. And then there's how women and people talk about it, right? So women tend to describe the symptoms as um, not feeling like themselves, can't really concentrate and focus. Things are feeling kind of overwhelming um, and that they're just not enjoying their pregnancy or their baby period like they thought they were going to doesn't feel quite like what they expected it was going to feel like. Technically, what the symptoms are that we're listening for when we're trying to help screen a person or help them recognize how they're doing is to listen for things like excessive worrying. And so what that can sound like for a woman is, um, I'll give you an example from from my pregnancy period. So I had this theory at some point, and I and I know that it was working off of a fear. Um, I wasn't addressing the fear. I was addressing the theory. The theory was that if I had life insurance on my husband, nothing would happen to him. <laughs> and we would have the happy family that I was looking forward to and anticipating. And so at some point, a few months into our pregnancy, that became my task for our family. And I think every person does it differently. Some people, it might be, I'm going to make our backyard amazing because that's where we're going to spend all of our time and our family will be happy there, or I'm going to get a new car that has side airbags and all of these (laughs) things that we do, they're fine if they're within reason because they are an expression of us working against something that we're worried can happen to this precious thing that's happening. Our life is changing and forming a family. When it starts to take over and it becomes excessive, where you are constantly needing to purchase something new that's going to guard against something, when you are not inviting friends over because they might be sick and then contaminate you and your baby will get sick, when you are not um, buying certain products because now you're convinced that nothing is safe, I mean, everything has this chemical or that, When, when it takes over and your life becomes smaller and smaller because nothing feels safe you're really getting into that realm where you're not living fully. Um, and now it's, I would say in that case, anxiety has taken over. Um, it's kind of, it's dictating your life.
4: How about like a, a physical feelings?
1: Um, so, um, tightness in the chest. Sometimes you'll get sensations of a racing heart, a, a rapid, short breath. Um, Tension, physical aches and pains—one of the common complaints for women who are. There's a correlation between women who are feeling anxiety postpartum, I mean, pre- prenatally, and um, and an increased complaints of physical symptoms. Um, I work with somebody um, in a different capacity than than mental health, who's complained about a lot of the um, tension and. Um, tightening that she's feeling as a result of the pregnancy she's managing it very well someone else might start to interpret that as a sign of something more severe and might start to really take excessive steps to ward against what those symptoms might be related to so um yeah
4: yeah for me it was more the physical tightness in my chest yeah and yeah So that's I definitely and do you think that um, – so you said if a woman has anxiety or depression pre-prenatally, uh-huh, you know, before uh-huh. she gets pregnant, mm-hmm. is it um, – does it get worse as she becomes pregnant and even then after she has the baby? Or do you find that that's It's that correlated? really –
1: it's that really annoying answer of it depends. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Because um, – because there's hormones in pregnancy that actually protect against some of those stress experiences the the oxytocin and relaxin that we get in order to help prepare the body for pregnancy and motherhood actually guard against the stress hormones and the and the stress response system that we have But then you add on all the the life changes and the stressors that can overwhelm a person if they think about all of them and their thought pattern tends to be worry-related, then that's going to, those two things start working against each other. One of the stronger... Predictors of prenatal and postpartum anxiety would be a past history of anxiety or a family history of anxiety. Um, you know, I've I've co- I've codified myself of I'm more of a worrier than a depressor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have certain yeah. traits. We yeah. have an Achilles. We have an emotional health Achilles heel. Yeah. I would say, yeah. and and it doesn't mean that we're um, destined for certain things, but it means we have to then watch that and and prepare against it. We have to talk to our partner and say, now you know I tend to be the worrier. So am I being crazy here, or is this reasonable? And you and you talk to your partner or your family members or whoever you trust who can say you're going crazy or no that's pretty good that's a good one to worry about. Yeah, my husband you're? always thinks I'm going crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, he's, like, right. he's not a worrier yeah. at all. yeah, yeah. so yeah. And honestly, a certain amount of worry during pregnancy and postpartum is protective, right? I mean, our worry function actually is protective. It gets us to put our guard up to watch for things to make sure we get to those appointments that we were taught are really important. So a certain degree of worry is actually functional and it's protective. It's, it's like, like good the mama stress. bear thing. It is. It is. Yeah. It's the mama bear. And and the thing is, we want mama bear to go out and live, not hibernate. That's, <laughs> that's what it is, right?
3: Something I did uh, during my last pregnancy that I thought was very helpful. Now, I was uh, diagnosed with depression uh-huh. which most of my friends would not guess yeah, uh, yeah. at all yeah it's just very private it's yeah. very internal yeah but I was diagnosed uh before my well see I have to count now because I, I'm gosh how many pregnancies I'm, I'm on my sixth pregnancy but this mm-hmm. is my third child uh-huh. so just a lot of anxiety about yeah. is this you know one gonna last is yeah. it gonna I guess it was oh gosh before my fifth pregnancy then uh that I was diagnosed with with uh depression how did they, uh,
1: how, how did it come about that they were asking the questions that helped get you properly diagnosed?
3: Oh, I, I self-referred okay. uh, to the oh, emergency good. room. Oh, yeah. Really? So was, okay. Uh, so you knew know, there was a problem. Ignore, ignore, uh, ignore, ignore. Uh-huh. Major emergency. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so then I was in, in counseling with a, a therapist good. my entire last pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, but um but anyway, so something helpful that I did because I am a a warrior as mm-hmm. well and I get wrapped around the axle about things and my dear husband, you know how patient he is, is I'm like the opposite, you know, I'm not patient, I worry about everything. <laughs> um my uh my labor doula, I wrote a list. Um and I did a um with hypnobirthing fear release is yeah. a big thing. Yeah. Uh, So, I wrote out a list of everything that I was fearful of or worrying about. It was a list of 48 things. Mm. Uh, And I gave it away to my doula. I said, This is yours now. Yeah, that's great. I'm not worrying about this anymore. Yeah. You know, but just to write it out and to name it and to put my finger on, you know, I'm worried about this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, did some of them come true? Yeah, you know, but um, I was able to roll with the punches a little bit better. Yeah. So, because there were things in there about hospital transfer and all Mm -hmm. that. And like I said, Although I was disappointed, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you know, my mm-hmm. birth was traumatic and I just can't deal with this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, you know, now it's all ruined. It's ruined, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So.
1: <laughs> and you make a really, you bring up a really great point that actually another um, risk factor or vulnerability for prenatal or postpartum anxiety is past perinatal loss. So possibly a, a pregnancy that didn't carry a term or some other kind of perinatal loss or history of, of health concerns will definitely ramp up the anxiety because suddenly you don't feel as in control. You realize that some of the, the outcomes aren't within your control and it creates some anxiety for some. So that's an important piece to mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: What are some of the other risk factors, Gretchen, that we should know mm-hmm. about?
1: So prenatally, um, the the strongest risk factor, like I said, is a is a uh, family history or personal history of anxiety. Um, postpartum, and this can also happen prenatally, but it's definitely more the case postpartum. A perfectionistic type expectation of yourself as a mother, as a as a pregnant woman. I'm going to do this perfectly. Well, if we if we try and live perfectly according to all the information we have out there these days um it's it's untenable it's unsustainable and it's exhausting and um the reason we we aspired i think to some of those perfectionist ideas is that we think it will guarantee a certain outcome it sort of wards against the fear like i said and and ensures the kind of family or experience that we're looking for um but it's exhausting and that lends to um more of a, a a propensity towards anxiety. Perinatal loss, past perinatal loss, like I said, certain medical conditions that leave one predisposed or vulnerable to anxious or anxiety or depression um, can all contribute to, to prenatal anxiety.
2: All right, when we come back, we'll be talking about how to know when outside help is needed. Also, what are your treatment options? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today, we're discussing prenatal anxiety and depression with our special expert, Gretchen Malios, a licensed clinical social worker. So, Gretchen, do women with prenatal anxiety and depression always need professional help, or sometimes is this something that can be managed on their own if they recognize the symptoms?
1: If they're recognizing the symptoms and they are taking action to understand what's going on in them and they're intervening early when they're starting to feel the difference and they, they, Read what they need to read or talk to somebody to start learning about what they can do to ward against it. In the case of depression, that they are not isolating, that they're resting and getting the sleep that they need, that they are um, possibly getting the physical care. Maybe it's massage. Maybe it's some acupuncture, something that really helps them balance their body again yoga is very protective against prenatal depression and anxiety if they're doing things that help them start to reset that baseline physiologically and emotionally then and that works then that's great Um, when the symptoms start to become very strong it's really hard to work against it on your own quite honestly depression is an ironic illness as far as i'm concerned because the very things you need to do to get better and work against it are the very things that depression um pulls from you. You need to engage and connect to people and talk to people and you need to organize your life and structure yourself in a way that sort of puts you on a track to take care of yourself. Depression works against that. It isolates you. It, it interferes with your sleep. It interferes with your appetite and your energy levels. It interferes with your cognitions and your ability to sort of organize mentally. So all these skills that you need to engage with in order to start to feel more like yourself again are kind of pulled away from you as a result of the depression and the anxiety. So it's, it is important at some point when it feels strong and your efforts to, to, to get on top of it aren't working, that you, you don't be shy, that you engage with something, that you engage with a professional, that you talk to your OB about it, that if you have a past history of using a therapist or a counselor or somebody to get support from, that you start having that conversation.
2: And then when should you consult with them? Um, I would assume right away after you're recognizing the symptoms and realize this is a little beyond your control?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, as a therapist, I'm biased. I think therapy and counseling <laughs> is a really good thing. I think it doesn't have to be problem-focused and something shameful or something negative. Um, there's so much more of a transition towards positive psychology right now and solution-oriented psychology. And ideally, you can find somebody that works with you and speaks your language that's positively oriented, that helps you place the concerns and questions outside of yourself and helps you start to see them for what they are are because when you roll through them privately in your head or you only talk to your partner about that and your partner isn't skilled in that particular area unless your partner happens to be a mental health professional, (laughs) um, you really limit your ability to just get on top of it and start to feel like yourself. The longer you wait to work with someone, the more of a hold the depression or anxiety risks taking over you.
2: What about women who have experienced this in a previous pregnancy and they have a subsequent pregnancy that they think, you know, this could happen again? Mm -hmm. Would you recommend seeking some sort of help even before those symptoms really manifest themselves to avoid that?
1: My prescription for somebody who has a history of it or who is concerned, and I kind of had this experience with a client, actually, my prescription would be start making some calls and find somebody you want to work with maybe go in and have one session to explain your fears and let that person assess you and sort of see how you seem to be and let them give you feedback you seem quite stable and quite clear minded and on top of this right now how about we check in or how about you call me if you need how about i talk to your partner and i help him or her keep an eye out for certain things that will help you know if things are going awry because i don't think women during pregnancy or postpartum should be responsible for screening or tracking their own symptoms i think that is not fair she has so much to worry about and think about, I think it's important that we pull in other people in, in the family system to help be on top of it and monitoring, because that way she can focus on herself and they can say, we got you covered. We got you. We're keeping our eye out. You know, you don't seem like yourself. I noticed you haven't been sleeping for this last week, and I know you're saying it's fine, but let's, you know, something going on. If you don't want to tell me, let's, ha- let's have you go someplace where you can start talking about what are the thoughts that are rolling through your head that are keeping you from sleeping. So I I um I would recommend s- at least setting up or having somebody in your in your address book, and maybe you've already contacted them. Maybe you've just filed in your own head. This is the person I plan to go and see when things don't feel right.
2: Okay, that makes sense. What are our treatment options? So let's say we decide to seek professional help. Mm-hmm. I think in our heads as as moms and moms to be we think, oh well, I don't want to get on medication. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to breastfeed. I want to mm-hmm. do everything naturally whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Um, but that's not necessarily the case, mm-hmm. right? There there are multiple options here. Yeah,
1: there's a number of options and you know up until now most of my language has been around that sort of mild to medium experience where we're still mentally coherent enough and the symptoms haven't totally taken over that we can even engage in some of the options. Um, So if you are staying on top of it and you know something about depression or anxiety or you've taken steps to understand exactly what it is and how it's affecting you, then depending on your lifestyle orientation, you have a number of options. If you already work with an acupuncturist or you like the effect of acupuncture and you feel that it's it's something that suits you, that is a non-medicated way to balance your physiology. And depression and anxiety have a physiological quality along with a thought and uh, cognition quality that sort of creates the symptoms. So I consider them like bi-directional experiences. You can have um, you can have physical symptoms, and that can create a worry or a concern, and then you suddenly get the thoughts going, and they're racing and on the hamster wheel. Or you can have some thoughts about some things that might happen to you or your baby, and suddenly that creates fear, and that fear creates that tightness in your chest, that palpitating heart, that that shortness of breath. So it can work in two directions. So I like to recommend, um, and, and certainly recommend to my clients, acupuncture, to sort of get that physiological system regulated down and getting somebody into a healthy, balanced, um, more easy state and a supported state. So that's one option. Um, like I said before, yoga and massage are very protective against depression and anxiety just because you get into a centered state. There's some practices around mindfulness that can come up. They can also do some attachment and baby-related work in their mindfulness exercises and, and yoga that sort of help you root down into your center and are, are very protective against the worrying and the sadness and the sadness. Um, and then you can step up the chain. Then you can also look at individual or support groups with people who are specifically trained in this, who really support and understand the spectrum of experiences for women. And then, of course, you can always talk to your doctor about medications. If you have a history of being responsive to medications and that works for you, there is no judgment and choosing that. If that's what works for you to feel well and engage in your life in a healthy way, that is good for you. And there's a lot of options that they know are safe for women during pregnancy. If it's necessary for you to feel mentally and emotionally well, then that is important because you are either suffering and ble- you may think you're grinning and bearing it for your baby. Well, I won't get treatment, but I'll protect my baby. There's going to be effects. If you are not well and strong and supported, that you are that you're that same person who's raising that baby you need to be strong and whole and supported to be a strong and whole mama for your baby i just I, I, we deserve the support I, we just and there's deserve a lot the support to
4: be said about like well, how your um your mental state affects the baby yes. in in utero you know yes. that yeah,
1: and I don't want to get into the statistics because yeah. I don't want to have moms feel judgmental of themselves about well if I had these emotional health symptoms and now I've hurt my baby. We don't need to add any more stress. Right. But right. there are there are associations. But what we do know is that the the more emotionally healthy mom is, the more balanced the there's like I said there's a physiological effect to these these mental illnesses. So the the more well and balanced she is, the healthier the pregnancy, the healthier and later term the birth the more robust the baby is and the easier the transition into motherhood is.
2: What happens if these symptoms go untreated? What if we just keep pushing it aside and being like, you know, I can handle this, or my due date's just around the corner, or I just have a couple more weeks. What happens?
1: I worry that um, it's sort of like somebody running into a war zone with a fractured leg, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or running into a, into a serious competition, like the, the competition of their life with a sprain. You're setting yourself up to run into the hardest physical experience you might ever endure. Childbirth and then postpartum period. Nursing, the loss of sleep, the physical drain that goes on. It's it's can it's a wonderful experience, obviously we all look forward to it, but it is taxing. I frequently explain and joke that that childbirth, pregnancy, motherhood, parenthood is an endurance sport. My husband was an Ironman athlete before we had our daughter. And he's like, gosh, I thought all those training sessions were for the Ironman. They weren't. <laughs> they were for fatherhood. And, you know, he would step in when I was done. And and he had the long nights, too. And, and so that what happens is that we walk into an already very difficult spe- experience compromised. So um, what I find in women is that those first couple of months, most of the time, first couple months they've got the energy they keep going and they're okay but after two and three months they are depleted and the more they were vulnerable prior to the childbirth they're even that much more depleted that much faster so if we don't get the treatment then we have these thought patterns we have these physiological physiological experiences we're not making sense of things we're not able to interpret and see things accurately and it risks affecting how we experience our motherhood And some women, when they feel that badly, interpret it as, I guess I wasn't meant to be a mom. I guess this isn't what I expected. I wonder if I made a mistake. And she is not at fault for thinking that. These are common thoughts that women who are suffering start to have. And what is the commonality in all that? judgment. We judge ourselves for how we're feeling when the reality is those are the thoughts. That is the depression and the anxiety talking. That is the fatigue of motherhood.
2: Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. It's great to be here. Sharing all this great information. We really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. For more information about our expert Gretchen, as well as our panelists here in the studio, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, we'll talk about different resources available to women who are struggling with prenatal anxiety and depression. To learn more about our club, visit preggypals.com. We have a question from one of our listeners. This comes from Sandy of Kansas. And Sandy writes to us and says, I am pregnant with twins. I'm not very far along yet, so I'm still nervous and praying they both make it through the first trimester safe and sound. But I'd love some advice in the meantime. Anything different I need to do with my diet besides ingest more calories, any special gear for pregnancy and beyond that I need to make sure I have, any ways to better my chances of no bed rest, and any way to help the babies cook as long as possible. I'm trying to learn everything I can, so any and all advice would be greatly appreciated. Hi Sandy,
5: this is Donna Rose Feinberg. I'm an IBCLC, mom of twins, and editor of breastfeedingtwins.org. As I'm sure you're already learning, there are some things about expecting twins that are a bit different from being pregnant with one baby at a time. Here are some things to think about and do during pregnancy. First and most importantly, listen to your body. Some moms find they need to make a lot of lifestyle and dietary changes while they're pregnant, and some don't need to change much of anything. Some moms are up and about at their normal activity levels, and some need to limit their activities early on. This depends on so many things, your previous activity level, your job conditions, and the unique circumstances of your own pregnancy. There's no single set of rules that is right for everyone. Please check with your own care provider to help you make decisions about your own unique pregnancy. Many nutritionists suggest increasing not only your overall calorie intake, but specifically your protein intake while pregnant with multiples. Protein helps your baby's development, and while many moms carry their twins to 37 weeks or more, some moms deliver early. It's important to ensure that your babies are growing well early on. This doesn't mean you should live on milkshakes and cheeseburgers, but you may want to incorporate additional protein sources in your overall diet. Lots of moms like making smoothies with protein powder because it's an easy way to get a lot of healthy ingredients and extra protein into one meal. I recommend a book called When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, or Quads by Barbara Luke for a really good explanation of diet and nutrition during a multiple pregnancy. To keep yourself comfortable, I strongly suggest adding some extra pillows to your sleeping arrangement. You may want several pillows, maybe one behind your back and another between your legs or you may be most comfortable with a long body pillow or other maternity pillow to support your growing belly. Many moms also find they're more comfortable using a belly support band later in pregnancy to help support their growing midsection. Sometimes you can have your care provider prescribe a special band or get one from a maternity specialty store. Finally, pregnancy is a great time to reach out to other moms. Join your local twins club or reach out to other moms in multiples online. Local groups often have expectant or new mom's groups you can attend now to get advice from moms who have recently been through the adventure of twin pregnancy. Note that local clubs have different personalities, programs, and offerings. If one group is not a great match, you may be able to find another nearby or online that will meet your needs. Again, congratulations on your pregnancy. Take it easy, keep some cooking, and enjoy this new adventure. And come visit me online at breastfeedingtwins.org for more information and tips.
2: That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. This is Preggy Pals. Your pregnancy, your way.
3: This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode
2: That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.